Written on the pages of the great book of nature lies a truth so profound that it has beckoned men and women throughout the ages to seek its wisdom. We will continue this quest and study many stories of humanity as we search for this light. On this journey, we will examine philosophy, religion, and science to uncover the hidden mysteries behind myth and legend using the symbols of universal Freemasonry. Welcome to Legends of the Craft. Welcome back to the Legends of the Craft podcast. It has certainly been some time since our last recording, Brother Matthias, but I got to say it's wonderful to be back, and I am very excited about today's topic. I'm excited as well, Brother Axel. Today's topic is the left and right-hand path of magic, and it's one of those topics that you know, most people are on one side or the other. Some people don't even believe in magic. I was going to say, most people probably aren't on either side and are wondering why the hell we're talking about the left and the right-hand path of magic in the context of Freemasonry. I would say that most people probably do believe in some sort of magic. Um, it's not a good word to use today, so why don't we start there and discuss what is magic. It's one of those words that, you know, you think of tricksters, charlatans, you think of people like Houdini... Uh, Penn and Teller performing magic and I think that's accurate to some degree but I think ceremonial magic um, has a different definition well I think the the distinction that you made there is key because there is like stage magic and ceremonial magic they're both magic but they're used for different purposes and they accomplish different things so to me magic is any technique that is used to alter consciousness so in the case of stage magic you're talking about so when houdini is performing a trick or Penn and teller or uh, the the two guys with the tigers i forget their names but when they're doing something on stage they're diverting human attention they're using sleight of hand they're changing reality to affect the consciousness of their audience to make them believe in things that aren't possible in the audience's waking consciousness. So they take them to a different place in reality where these things suddenly become possible. Now that's one way of altering consciousness. Ceremonial magic, on the other hand, uses ritual, uses music, it uses incantations, evocations, invocations, these, these ancient techniques of altering consciousness for what we might consider loftier or more spiritual goals than just to entertain somebody. And I think it's totally appropriate not to use the word magic if, if it bothers people. Uh, we can use other terms such as uh, working with energy. It could be elevating consciousness. I think there's a lot of different ways we can phrase it in the context of what you just explained mm-hmm. without using the word magic. But, but for this, this discussion, yeah, we're going to use gonna the word magic, magic <laughs> because it's, it's too complicated to, to try to beat around the bush in order not to bother people because of their delicate ears. All right, so let's jump into the topic today. Let's start with the right-hand path, because that is the path which most people follow in every known religion around the earth, whether it be Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism. They're following the right-hand path. This is the path in which we stick to social customs. We try to avoid taboos. We work in groups together for the perfection of our religious group. And we are slowly moving up grades or degrees towards divinity so that we can reunite with our source. And we do this through discipline, through resolve, through morality, through family values. 
the right-hand path is altruistic. It's asking that its practitioner surrenders their passions and their desires for the greater good. It essentially is devotion towards God. And it rejects the idea that nature is the ultimate source of truth because God is the ultimate source. So we are trying to break away from this material existence and elevate ourselves into a spiritual world or heaven. So the left-hand path, by contrast, is uh, it's an egocentric practice. It's about the elevation and exaltation of the self. Not in a bad sense, but in the sense that uh, the left-hand path considers the path to God to be through the individual. So it's very much about spiritual liberation and freedom. And the you know, the freedom that it seeks first is freedom from religious norms, social norms, these taboos that it views as keeping us in place or imprisoned. So to do this, it rejects the, the practices of organized religion. It uses things like sex and drugs to alter the consciousness of the, of the practitioners in ways that aren't possible in polite society, so to speak. Um, it rejects conventional methods of reasoning and of morality in society, so things that are viewed as generally evil. The left-hand path practitioner might not consider it that way. And the, the biggest difference between the left-hand and the right-hand path is that the left-hand path venerates nature. Nature is everything. The material world is everything. You know, there, there, are, there are spiritual forces within it, but it is by going into matter that the left-hand path seeks to become a god. Whereas the right-hand path wants to become as god, the left-hand path wants to become a god. I think the easiest way to kind of depict these two paths is with some popular culture. If you look at Star Wars, this is the difference mm -hmm. between the Jedi and the Sith. Um, in theosophy or 19th century sort of spiritualism, it's the idea of the White Lodge versus the Black Lodge, of the of the white magician versus the black magician. Mm -hmm. um, it's Voldemort and the Death Eaters and, and Harry Potter and, and the Phoenix Army or whatever they're called in the book. It's a very it's a very ancient idea, this division between, you know, light and dark spiritual forces. I mean, almost every religion has this idea, but every kind of every esoteric um, tradition has the same idea that there is a faction of good and a faction of evil. Now, you know, each side might consider themselves the good side, of course, but uh, and and they might be right depending on the situation. That's true, but I still think people of the left-hand path are aware that it's a left-hand path. They, I agree. They, I, they know that it's, mm -hmm. it's individualistic, it's egocentric. I think the I think the truth behind it, though, is is that it can't be so black and white. I mean, no. uh, everything's along a spectrum, mm -hmm. and so I, I don't think it's so easy as to classify people in one or the other outrightly well and i think and both uh both paths address that question you know on the right hand path side of things um from a christian perspective for example like everybody is a child of god and everybody is worthy of forgiveness and, and the path to salvation remains open to everybody nobody can be so evil that they forever cut mm -hmm. themselves off from god's grace it's given unquestioningly the left hand path on the other hand would say that well your ideas of good and evil they don't really mean anything they're human constructions. Um, it's very much about moral relativism and that the only morality that is real is the one that is acted upon and practiced by whoever, you know, conceives it, that there is no, like, higher power 
that has valid rules for us to follow. They reject that idea. So for them, good and evil is inconsequential. And the right and on the right hand path, you know, good doesn't mean necessarily what good is, and nobody's really that evil. So they both kind of reject that, you know, that division. I think inherently anything that is that black and white eventually erodes from its absolutism. But if we turn this to Freemasonry, you know, which path is our craft? And I would have to say it is the right-hand path. I mean, we, we definitely follow social norms. We try to avoid taboos. Literally, we are told to subdue our passions so that we may improve ourselves in the craft of Masonry. It's our goal to create a society and to interact with that society as a group cooperatively by establishing universal brotherhood. So, I mean, all these ideas that we find in Masonry is very right-hand path. But, and I think you're about to say this, but um, I think Masonry does use a little bit of the left-hand path. Not in terms of drug use or sex or even being egocentric, but there is an individuality in Masonry where you, there is a, there's an element of self-development, especially as an apprentice. I mean, the idea of an apprentice is that you don't know much. And you're there to learn. So it's kind of a selfish phase within masonry. So I think it's predominantly right-hand path with little, little daubings of left-hand path because I think you need a blend of extremes in order to find the center. Well, and I think that, well, first of all, yeah, the aim for the center of Freemasonry kind of like pushes it in that direction. But the other thing, too, about, you know, Freemasonry is an esoteric tradition. It is not an exoteric tradition. When we look at exoteric right-hand path traditions, they're very strict, they're very dogmatized, and they're very concretized. They have one way of doing things. Now, I think I agree with you that Freemasonry is a right-hand path practice, but I think it, it is a realistic right-hand path practice in that it recognizes that in order to serve the whole, in order to better fit yourself into the divine plan, some individual work has to take place. Like, you're not just going to show up and say that you believe in everything, and that's going to be good enough. You know, Freemasonry does realize that the whole is made up of individuals, and those individuals have to be as perfect as possible. I agree that it's not a left-hand path in the sense that the ultimate end is to become as God, not a God. You know, I, I think in Freemasonry, we're trying to become like God. I don't think we're trying to, you know, overthrow God or anything like that or or for each brother to become, you know, their own God. I, I don't think that's the purpose here. It's not it's not focused inward. It's focused outward and upward. I agree with that. And I think, you know, all things considered, Masonry is more realistic as a system than all the world religions. Um, it allows flexibility in its rules. It allows flexibility in the, in, the, in the social norms of its members because it's made up of such a diverse group of people of different religions and different creeds and nationalities, etc. That being said, there has to be flexibilities. The boundaries have to be um, a lot more fluid than you would find in Orthodox Christianity or an Orthodox Christian or um, Islam. Mm -hmm. That being said, though, there are boundaries. There are landmarks. You can't just do whatever you want to do. And I have found over 20 years of being a Mason that those people that come to the craft as neophytes seeking only to improve themselves and only to gain the knowledge and the secrets of Freemasonry are the ones that quickly leave and have made no effect in, in the evolution of the craft 
or have made an impact in anyone's lives. Well, I mean, even if we look at the just the, the rituals of the Blue Lodge, like there's only so far that that attitude can take you. You know, like, yeah, I mean, there is, there is definitely an individual aspect to the rituals of Freemasonry, and it will improve you. But as kind of a second-order consequence, and, and I, I, I don't think that that's readily apparent at first. I think people come to Freemasonry like they come to any, you know, any practice of spirituality. Is, well, I want to be better than I am now. That's, that's pretty much how everybody comes in. But I think the realization, and, and to me, the power of Freemasonry is that, you know, those things come as a consequence, of doing the real work. And the real work to me is this kind of right-hand path idea of, you know, venerating God, recognizing God's plan in nature and realizing that, you know, human society would be better served if we could uh, more closely attune ourselves to this divine plan. As a consequence of doing that, you will become a better person. You will become more charitable. You will become more spiritually awakened. You will become more disciplined. You will become more powerful in general as a consequence of what's really important, which is this, which is this greater work than yourself. I, I, what, what you're saying, I would phrase as the left-hand path always follows the right-hand path. Can you... I'm being dense. Can you explain that a little bit more? Well, it, the right-hand path is the goal. It's this, this collective good, this altruism, this moving towards God. And any aspects of the left-hand path that are necessary... They follow the right. The right is not following the left. I see what you're saying. So, no, I completely agree. So yeah. it's, it's, you know, one has to lead. That doesn't mean the other is wrong. I mean, because there are moments that we need to be selfish in life and egocentric. Though I do completely reject the notion that sex or drugs has any place in Freemasonry. Even though if you watch YouTube and all <laughs> the conspiracy theories, that's all that we apparently yeah. are doing. Um you know, spoiler alert, you know, you're going to be disappointed if you join for those reasons because you're not going to find anything like that, not even close. Um, and, I, and I'm not, and I'm not uh, saying that sex and drugs are bad. It's not something that I choose to do, and the organization we belong to, that's not things that we do. If other people choose to do that, I think they're of their own free will and accord to follow that path. But in, in my opinion, I think it's going to, you're going to reach a dead end. I would agree. I mean... Well, I agree and I disagree. It's personally, like, it's not for me. And I don't think it's, you know, obviously, I think what I'm doing is the right thing to do. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. But there is a, you have to be careful in saying, like, that one is preferable to the other, only because there is real power in the left hand path. And I feel like that is something that's an idea that gets dismissed, like that these sex and drug rituals, they don't do anything. It's just kind of hedonistic indulgence. Like, there are ways to alter your consciousness in a very real way using um, sexual rituals, drugs in ritual, even sacrifice in ritual. These are these are real things that have real power. I think for the most part, the people that are into kind of doing those things aren't necessarily reaching those heights. Um, but to say that it doesn't exist, to say that material magic and magic that utilizes the material world and flesh and blood and sex and drugs, like to say that doesn't have power, I think is is naive of the right hand path. You know, to say that like that it's just kind of like well, self indulgent delusion. Yeah, but I don't think a lot of people, a lot of evangelical Christians that I know, completely mm -hmm. believe that there's a left hand path and mm -hmm. that there's power there and that it's destructive. So I don't think the people on the right hand necessarily um, don't believe in the left-hand path. 
And I certainly agree that there's, I think there's a lot of power. I mean, I think that's the, um, that's the appeal of the left-hand mm-hmm. path. It's easy. The Faustian bargain, yeah, right? It, yeah, it's, 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 it's easy and it's delicious to some degree, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's all those things that your passions want. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately, though it's easy and it indulges you, at the end of the day, it's not the true path. It, it, it will give you power, but power only has power here on Earth. Mm-hmm. It has Great. It only has dominion over the physical plane of existence. So I think masonry shooting high, it's looking towards the spiritual plane of existence. So it's not just this physical existence. We're not materialists as Freemasons. You cannot be a pure materialist and be a Freemason, in my opinion. I think those two are incompatible. Well, I would say that, like, first of all, I definitely agree. I don't think I don't think materialism is compatible with Freemasonry. If you if you believe that there's nothing beyond pure matter and that consciousness and, and these experiences of spirituality are nothing more than an epiphenomenon of brain chemistry, I, I don't think that you're going to be able to really grasp the depth of Freemasonry. Um, on the other hand, like I think there's another there's a, a trick in the in the left hand path in this idea that you know you can become as a god. It's the same kind of like bait and switch in that the Gnostics would say is in Christianity is like, well, you can become like a demiurge and that might appear like a God, but that's not a God like a a material creator is not the is not the the most high God. Right. Like there are there are levels and hierarchies to the to divinity and you can become very powerful. You can create, you know, on the material plane to from what our perspective would look like an infinite level. But there is something beyond matter. There's something that can move beyond matter. And that is the idea that Freemasonry kind of holds, I think, that, you know, that the veneration of the most high is, is an allusion to that, that there's something beyond matter. And I would add to that, when we're looking at this type of magic, these two paths, we have to be very careful because... People get these images of people like making objects appear and disappear or um, using their powers to attack people or casting spells, mm. uh, love potions, those type of things. And I, I, I don't really necessarily believe in any of that. I think, I think the magic that you accumulate on the left-hand path is your consciousness, as you, I think you said earlier, is elevated to the point which creates within you the power of charisma, the power of magnetism. So you're able to um, attract people. You're, you attract the things that you want, not because of uh, an abracadabra type spell, but because you have elevated yourself to welcome those things into your life, to gather these things, to gather more materialism. Magic is very subtle. It does exist, in my opinion, but it's not what the movies and the stories kind of portray it as. It's something that slowly builds up in an individual that allows them to gain their nefarious goals. Well, and and that's why you kind of have to bring magic into a bit more of a practical sense than we're, you know, conditioned to think about it in. Like, I'll use the cliched example of Nazi Germany, but, you know, Hitler and and his cabinet are are a great example of the power of left-hand path magic. Like, Hitler used ritual, ceremony, 
and left-hand practices to make himself like a god. I mean, that's when he's standing up at those Nuremberg rallies with his right hand raised, taking in all that energy that's being projected towards him by the, the, the saluting of the people. That's what magic is. Magic is the ability to convince millions of people to march from one place to another, kill their fellow human beings, and bring their resources back to you. That's a real sorcerer. You know, it's not some guy that can make rocks levitate. That's that's not real magic. Real magic is making yourself be seen as a god on Earth and, and reaping all of the privileges and powers that come from that. That's real magic. I love your example of Nazi Germany because, you know, let's say I could move some rocks or I can control an entire nation. Really, what's a little more powerful? You know, I'm like, moving rocks is cool. But if I could control an entire nation, now that's power, Mm -hmm. right? And I totally agree. So when we look at these powerful characters in history, they're, they're gathering an energy to them, a power that allows them to commit atrocities, to take people's material wealth, to enslave people. I think that's really the end of the left-hand path. Mm-hmm. It's not the beginning of it, but I think that's where if you really follow it down to its end, you're going to develop into a personality that's tyrannic and enslaving and where you view people not as equals but as assets, as objects, as pawns to use them as you, as, as you wish. And this is kind of, you know, that reality is I think part of the allure of the left-hand path and part of the, um, you know, the view of the right-hand path as being somehow weaker or slower or safer because, you know, the left-hand path is concerned with this material power, whereas the right-hand path, like, you know, we're not out there, like, you know, battling Nazis and things because, like, not because it's not right to do that. I'm just saying, like, the right-hand path is not concerned with the affairs of the world. You know, I mean, it, 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 it is, is, but not in the transitory but that's not sense the of goal. Like, exactly. That's not the goal. Well, and and there's a there's a transitory nature to life on Earth and in the physical plane that is acknowledged by the right hand path that is not acknowledged by the left hand path. The left hand path, like, it doesn't really believe in an afterlife. You know, like it, it, your power is everything that you can accumulate while you're alive. You know, this is why I like I liked your example in the beginning of the the difference between the Jedi and the Sith. That's why the Sith, you know, they only take one apprentice. It's so that they can transfer all of their power into this one body and stay alive in the physical realm. Whereas, you know, if you look at the Jedi, they 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 continue to exist but not in the physical realm, mm-hmm. and they're okay with that. And that and that's the same. That's the both are aiming towards immortality. Mm-hmm. The left-hand path can only conceive of immortality as preserving the physical body. You know, that's why you have these these billionaires that are using, like, you know, these companies that take young children's blood and try, they try and stay alive forever. Whereas, you know, the, the idea of immortality in a right-hand path sense is to, you know, work on your soul, the condition of your spirit, to, to gain access to the afterlife, you know, maybe to come back and to continue to work on yourself or you know, in the, in the, you know, Christian sense to, to gain admittance into this, this higher level of spiritual existence. You're not concerned with the physical realm. And even if you, you know, go down this idea of, um, of reincarnation, the idea is one day to not reincarnate anymore. Well, you know, what you bring to mind is, is Epstein. So I read an article <laughs> recently how Epstein, the billionaire who, um, supposedly killed himself, um, 
he he was meeting with geneticists and he was funding these projects to try to create a superior race based on his own DNA. So when people don't think that these these materialists, these ultra materialists, these these hyper materialists, these billionaires, they're not doing weird things with their money, they are. Some of them have crazier spiritual beliefs than all of us put together, and they're up to no good because they've accumulated so much power. They think they can do whatever they want, mm-hmm. and that creates a real danger for society. Even though these are stories you only see in conspiracy theories, but the article I read was like on Newsweek. Like it, this is this is this, uh, this is mean, fact. What do you, you know? what do you think the the Aryan master race was? It's exactly it's it's using the material world to create the perfect man, right? But the right-hand path isn't concerned with that. They're both concerned with immortality. I think like, the left-hand path and the right-hand path both want to be immortal. They have vastly different conceptions of what immortality is. So with the right-hand path, you know, the structure that you are a part of is what is immortal. Whether it's your church or Freemasonry or, or whatever it is that, you know, is the kind of collective ideology that you subscribe to, this, this thing that is greater than you, that you're adding yourself to, that's how you gain immortality in the right-hand path, by, by serving an ideal or a cause. And in doing so, by devoting your life force to it, you make that thing more powerful. It's like um, in, in the Western magical tradition, there's a concept called an egregore which is a, uh, it's a spiritual body or kind of object that a magician pours their energy into to give it power. A church or a synagogue or you know, any kind of like organized religion has an egregore around it. Freemasonry has an egregore. You might call it like the spirit of Freemasonry or the spirit of the church. And the right-hand path is about adding your energy to that spirit because you believe it's a good spirit and it's going to do great things. And that's how you live on. You live on in the body of this egregore that you're creating. Whereas the left-hand path, you are the egregore. You're adding power to yourself only. At the, at the ex- yeah, it's not, not, not only like ignoring others, but at the, at the active expense of other people. That's another part of the left-hand path is that, you know, uh, if you look at like Levian Satanism, the idea is that, you know, part of what is right is to crush your enemies and take their power. That you should have enemies, that you should defeat them, and that you should accumulate what they have for yourself. It's very selfish. Well, there's a quote here from the Satanic Bible, since we're talking about Levian Satanism, and he says, quote, Satanism is not a white light religion. It is a religion of the flesh, the mundane, the carnal, all of which are ruled by Satan, the personification of the left-hand path. He's basically spelling it out right there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So... Let's move on a little bit here. Let's let's get some background on these terms uh, before we finish up the show because these terms haven't existed for thousands of years, mm-hmm. at least not in the Western sense. So the term left-hand path and right-hand path comes from uh, Madame Blavatsky. Of course it does. Uh, Everything – you know, I, just as a side note in all these podcasts that we've done – you know, it's it's amazing to me the impact that this woman has had on the world. Everything that we know about about spirituality, about the Eastern mystic practices, like all of this, like it really can be traced back to Blavatsky and her work with the Theosophical Society. It it always astounds me that we we find her presence in almost everything that we talk about. And we're actually planning a future podcast in which we're going to discuss Madame Blavatsky and how Freemasonry influenced her ideas and her search for the truth, and how she 
wanted to create the Theosophical Society originally as a Masonic Institute. But that's for another episode. So back to Blavatsky. So she used these terms, and she got these terms from India, from two Sanskrit words. Um, one is called Dakshinashara, and the other is Vamashara. And they actually mean in Sanskrit basically right and left hand path. It actually kind of correlates to the movement of the sun in terms of, of right and left. Uh, but that's essentially what they mean. So Vamashara, which is left hand path, uh, is tantric uh, ritual. So it's using sex and alcohol. It's a rejection of the Hindu caste system of Hindu morality and basically saying you must indulge in your pleasures um, of your, your chosen pleasures in order to advance yourself and to grow closer to your goals. So this is a term that she picked up from the Hindus. And tantric magic or tantric sexual practice is something that is well documented. There's lots of books on it, and there's a lot of practitioners of it. Uh, people think it's just a way to have a fun time at night, uh, but it's really an in-depth spiritual system trying to give yourself power. The right-hand path would be traditional Hinduism, where you, you're a vegetarian, you, don't, you abstain from alcohol, um, and you have to be as moral as possible in order to reunite with the one source. Yeah, so from the uh, the the Western perspective, you could think of this uh, one of the most famous, I guess, left hand path uh, practices that a lot of people know about is um, the Ordo Templi Orientis, the Order of Aleister Crowley, who was also a Freemason. Coincidentally, a lot of those magical orders of the early twentieth century have their roots uh, in Freemasonry, kind of like as extracurricular activities for. Freemasons. But, you know, the famous maxim of Aleister Crowley and Thelema is do as thou wilt. Love under will shall be the whole of the law. Right. And, and it's that kind of phrase right there that love, meaning divine love, shall be subdued by the will of the practitioner. And it's this this direct uh, kind of rejection and renunciation of the right hand path. In, in doing so. So that's the uh, kind of the, the Western explanation of this Vamashara, the, uh, the idea that you have to go into your own hedonism in order to, to really accumulate power. I think it's dangerous, frankly, uh, especially for someone that's not prepared for it. Mm -hmm. So um, the OTO or the Golden Dawn, um, this is, I'm not judging these organizations. I'm not a part of them. So this is not a condemnation of them. But nevertheless, uh, having known many members that have gone into those organizations, I've seen how it's had a negative effect because um, because they're explicitly left-hand paths, even though some of them will, you know, some members of that organization will say they're not, but uh, that's not my general review of their rituals and whatnot. I think that it can be very dangerous because when you take somebody that's, let's say, uh, not spiritually prepared, um, that's maybe a little mentally ill, and you put them in a situation where you're promising them power um, and the magical ability to conform the world to their desires, mm -hmm. I think that can be very dangerous for someone that does not fully um, live in reality. Yeah, so I, uh, I I completely agree with that. There's a couple of points I want to make. The first is, you know, I think this is why the ancient mystery schools had such a long period of probation and mm -hmm. discipline and preparation. You didn't just, you know, it's we've we've kind of become soft in in the modern era where you know people can kind of join things after after a few months. But you know, if you look to the uh, the Platonic schools where you had to wait 
for years, you know, perfecting yourself and disciplining the body and the mind and the emotions so that you were prepared to hear these great truths. Because I agree with you. I think, you know, these, this knowledge and, and, and truly this power can be very dangerous to those that are ill prepared to wield it. Um, from my personal experience, I, uh, I came of age as an adolescent, uh, heavily involved in the rave scene. I was very much on the on the vamashara, on the left hand <laughs> path of of using um, uh, drugs, psychedelics to uh, explore my spirituality. I, I kind of entered into that culture, and while I do think that there is some validity to some of that, uh, what I found was. Um, it was very, very damaging to me. And I'm not saying that my experiences, you know, have to apply to every single person. But what I found is a, a lot of the people that use um, hedonistic experiences to express their spirituality, specifically through psychedelic drugs, tend not to be doing that, not to be doing what they th- what they think that they're doing. Um, and they, and I've seen many, many people go down that path thinking that they were prepared who are now utterly destroyed. And I mean, like utterly destroyed, just mentally vacant, not there anymore. And, and these were people that I personally know went down a path of like, oh, I'm going to become spiritual by using drugs and indulging my senses and going to these kind of orgiastic experiences. And it didn't lead them where they thought they were going to. Perhaps with a stronger will and a different setting or, or a different set of experiences, maybe that could have been achieved. But as somebody that's that's dipped their toe quite heavily into that water, I I, I think it's very, very dangerous. It's, it's filled with... Uh, with creatures that can can come up from the deep and swallow you at a moment's notice. It's a great way of putting it. Um, metaphorically speaking, like, you know, when I think when you indulge in all these type of things, and, and every person has indulged to some degree while they're an adolescent, or early adult, like there's always these these periods of experimentation and, and kind of where you go a little crazy. It usually happens to people when they get out of high school and mm-hmm. go to college and they're free with yeah, their parents. first taste of freedom. It's a, yeah. See, that's the, thing, that's the thing about the left-hand path that the right-hand path doesn't promise is its freedom. You know, it's like, uh, it's like that, um, that island in the story of Pinocchio where all the boys go to be free and they can indulge themselves, but it's a trap. Is that Pinocchio or Peter Pan? It's Pinocchio. Pinocchio, oh. Pinocchio. One of the um, if you watch the old movie, it's that uh, it's the island where he gets turned into a donkey after like getting drunk and indulging oh, himself. Yeah, 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 but yeah. really, like under the surface, it's a trap to turn them into animals to work in the mines for the sorcerer that runs the island. And so the same idea is in Peter Pan, where there's this island of the lost boys doing whatever they want. It's mm-hmm. interesting that there's multiple stories with this kind of theme of you do whatever you want, mm-hmm. but after you kind of burn out that desire for freedom you're lonely, mm-hmm. you're sad, Yeah. you want to go back. And I think that's, in some ways, that's where the left-hand path, I think, is necessary, that you can't force people. No. Churches and mosques and synagogues and temples, they want to force people to be good. You can't force them. they got to do it out of their own free will and accord. That's why, as Masons, you have to be typically at least 21 years old mm-hmm. because you need to kind of grow up a little bit. I know because I'm a Lewis, because my parents were Masons, I could have joined at 18. But if I had joined at 18, I don't know if I would have made it to 21 being a Mason. I'm glad I waited the extra years, kind of had the fun I did at school and everything. And and I didn't need to regret that I didn't get to have all those experiences. So I think the, the real use of the left-hand path is, look, when you want to go have that freedom, go have it. Indulge. Mm-hmm. But realize it's going to end. You're going to want something more. 
and the right hand path is waiting for you with open arms. You know, but we're not going to hold you hostage. That's very that's very interesting because um, you you make me think of the Amish and the tradition of Rumspringa because like the Amish are one of the most right hand right hand path practices there is. I mean, these people are literally living like it's two hundred years ago. But they have this kind of outlet valve that that recognizes exactly the stage that you're talking about that says, hey, you want to explore the left-hand path? Well, here's the time you can do it. And if you want to leave forever and, and go down that path, you're welcome mm-hmm. to. But there's a reason that 99% of them come back. Because I think that I think you're right, that there is a point of emptiness. I mean, there certainly was for me. There's a point of emptiness that you where you, you reach and you're like, well, I've indulged pretty much everything I can think of. And I still feel incomplete. And that's when I think the the pendulum starts to swing back to the other way. Or, you know, you become, you you head down a more malevolent direction. Well, well, what's the next thrill? What's the next thrill? And then you end up like Epstein with $7 billion, an island devoted to some of the most sadistic pleasures you can imagine. And you're researching how to keep yourself alive with a genetic master race. Like, you know, (laughs) all, all of a sudden you wake up and things have gone a little further than you expected. Well, this idea that when you kind of go down the path of hedonism, there's this, this point, no matter what the pleasure is, that you have, you've gained what you've wanted. You've gone to that next level. And now it's normal. And it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Because the problem with our passions is they're never satisfied. They never, never, never say, this is enough. I've done everything I wanted to do. They always want more. Mm-hmm. The part of you that says enough is enough is, I think, the divine spark. It's the spirit interacting with the soul. And you're like, dang, this materialism is just, its there's a hole mm-hmm. in me. But your passions, they're never, ever happy. And they always want more. And that's what leads people to do really, really terrible things on mm-hmm. this planet. Because they're like, I need the next thrill. And the next thrill. And the next thrill. And there's always another thrill. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the further you go up this ladder of thrills the darker and more evil it becomes. Well, and it's because fundamentally what the left-hand path is, or at least that kind of, you know, that direction is, it's an addiction to temporary things. And that's the, the, the problem. It's a permanent impulse towards the impermanent. Whereas the right-hand path is an impermanent impulse towards the permanent. Because like the right-hand path, it requires this discipline. You know, you can fall off of the path. That's why there's all these, you know, this all this talk, especially in the in the kind of Abrahamic religions of like of of the uh, the prodigal son that wanders in the wilderness for a while, but eventually comes back because it requires constant effort and discipline. The left-hand path is a little bit more slack, but its rewards are temporary. It's never permanent. Whereas the right-hand path, you're impermanently striving towards something that's permanent i like that and i and and to add to that i would say that when we look at the two paths it seems like they're equally distant from one another but i don't think that's the case it's just the trickery of the words left and right hand path Mm -hmm. truly there is but one path and that's the right hand path that is the path that's really the middle path yeah but we fall off it and we go down this left-hand path, but we will always return ultimately, I think, to the middle path. Mm-hmm. And we can't let the trickery of this of these terms make it sound like it's just 
you know, Democrat versus Republican, right versus left, mm-hmm. black versus white. That's a trickery. That's a, that's semantics. Well, and, and I like what you're saying because, like, how how does the right hand path become corrupted? Well, by the influence of the you know so-called left hand path. You know, now that you've said that, I really don't even like these terms anymore. But but like, how does a um, how does a collective like religious organization get perverted? Well, people start acting selfishly. They want to use these things for personal power, whether it's you know sexual indulgences or to get political power or to accumulate lots of money from people that are naive. Like those are left-hand path encroachments onto the right-hand path. So I would agree that there is well, like... I'm going I'm to go one step further. Uh, I would say that all these right-hand path religions are all run by psychopaths that are left-hand path. I don't want to say every leader is that way mm-hmm. because that's a generalization. But when we look through history, at the history of the popes of mm-hmm. the Catholic Church, there were definitely some black... Uh, magicians running those organizations, Absolutely, you know, orgies yeah. in the Vatican, mm-hmm. abuse of children. I mean, people infiltrate. The vast accumulation of wealth exactly. in, a, in a very unchristlike manner. And they're not using it for their goals. Mm-hmm. So I think in many ways, left-hand people, uh, left-hand path people find their ways into right-hand organizations mm-hmm. in order to take advantage of them. And so I think every group and organization has to be very wary of these people. Yeah, I mean, it's the idea of the wolf in sheep's clothing. The The left-hand path is is replete with the imagery and metaphors of the wolf in sheep's clothing because the individual practitioner is the wolf. And, and you know, this is definitely an, an idea in Levian Satanism is that a, a Satanist or a left-hand path practitioner is a predator, right? These are the people that have separated themselves from the herd as as more powerful that that morality social morality only applies to those who keep themselves within that confines so they're free to move around and take whatever they want they're predators essentially and so what greater target than a flock of sheep for a predator you know which is kind of the 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 right hand path these are shelters for everybody right so they represent um, I guess you could call it a spiritual buffet for the for the left-hand path predator. Thus enters Freemasonry because though our organization and all the Masonic organization are not uh, – uh, how do I put it? Like there are left-hand people in our organization mm. um, and there always will be. But the way Freemasonry is organized, the way it's structured – doesn't allow one person to take it over. It doesn't allow for there to be this sort of predator always in charge taking advantage. It's much more difficult because the powers are decentralized and you have a more educated group of people. They're older. There's never any children. Um, they're supposed to come in with a foundation mm-hmm. of education and understanding of the esoteric and the occult. And thus, they're more prepared to find those... Um, those Fabians among mm-hmm. our myths, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I like your uh, your reference there. I wonder who will get it. Um, well, and the other thing too is that you know intellectual self defense is stressed in masonry. You know, specifically with the the kind of classical education of the trivium and the quadrivium. The idea is that you know the initiate of Freemasonry, the neophyte in the Masonic tradition, is prepared to think for themselves. You know, and th- and that's the problem with institutions that stress faith and belief over capacity and understanding is that they make 
their flock targets for these predators. If you understand what a predator is and how to think for yourself, they're very easy to spot. Like it's not, you know, it's not difficult once you're kind of awake to that Mm -hmm. idea. And I, I think that's something that's stressed in Freemasonry is that there, that there is human society. And that human society is a good thing and it should be preserved and expanded and and improved in every way possible. And in order to do that, you have to have this awareness, you know, in masonry, we, we kind of make it more abstract that we fight ignorance, ambition and fanaticism, which are all left hand, you know, left hand practices that are either used against people or used as tools of power. So we're already kind of focused on opposing something. And I think that that's a very important aspect of the right-hand path is that it, it can't – this is why it's not individualistic. It's in opposition to evil. This is the purpose of Freemasonry. It's, it's 33 degrees are organized to educate from the level of apprentice all the way to Grand Inspector General to inculcate the ideas of civilization and society, to train us to be better people, to spot predators – and to develop resistance to ignorance, ambition, and fanaticism. We are in training to oppose all that is evil on this planet. We are do-gooders. We are heroes. And we're willing to be martyrs in this cause. So I think it's very important that we don't indulge the idea of relativity here. No. We are fighting all that is base and impure upon this planet. And masonry prepares us for this mission. We are right-hand magicians working to elevate the world into a state of perfection. Thank you for listening to Legends of the Craft. This podcast is purely the opinion of brothers Matthias Comcier and Axel Suvari and does not represent the official views of Universal Comasonry. Universal Comasonry is a Masonic order founded on the principles of liberty, equality, and fraternity that admits men and women without distinction of race, religion, or creed. For more information, please visit universalfreemasonry.org.